That's always beautiful singing. So I've met you. My name is Aaron, and I'm the preaching pastor here, and uh, glad you're with us this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to 1 Samuel. Today our sexual study will be from all of chapter 20, but for this time here, I'm just going to read the first verse. So 1 Samuel 20, we're going to continue on our study of this Old Testament book. As mentioned, I'm just going to read the first verse, pray, ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and then we will get to work. Okay, so please hear the words of the Lord. So the Bible says, Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Okay, that's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your holy word. And Lord, we do pray your Holy Spirit would open up your holy word to us in ways that uh, you uh, help us to see uh, that you're good and that you're so good that you sent us uh, Jesus. And God, please bless this time for his sake. Amen. So this morning as we gather together, I want to start out by telling a story that I may have told the story uh, several years back in a sermon, which is a story when T and I, uh, my wife T and I, first started dating. So with every good story, we always start with the words, so there I was. Okay, so there I was. That from Go, I was pretty sweet on Tia, and because of that, I want to put my best foot forward, uh, not just with Tia, but also with her family. And early on into our daily relationship, I learned that Tia and her family were uh, huge roller coaster fans, like huge roller coaster fans. In fact, if you can find someone to love you the way Tia's family loves roller coasters, you're doing well, okay? So because of their love for roller coasters, every year they take a pilgrimage down to Six Flags Great America. Now, for me, up to that point, never been on a roller coaster. Never cared to. But because I am a romantic, I figured I wanted to earn some points, so it would be good for me to make the trip with T and her family with a thought, really, how bad could roller coasters be? So I agreed to go. Wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. However, soon after agreeing to go, some of the gleam in my eye started to fade a bit. I began to see the planning that was taking place for this trip. So first in the conversation was at the time of departure on when we're going to leave, uh, far earlier than I, than I anticipated. As I believe, like very early in the morning, like crack of dawn early in the morning, uh, wake up the rooster early in the morning. This is critical for us to be the first, if uh, one of the first, if not the first people online, as we waited for uh, the roller coaster park to open. Right, we want to maximize every second that we could during our operating hours. And second, there's a conversation surrounding the strategy by which we would attack uh, the park. And yes, the word attack is the proper word uh, to use here. So a map of the park laid out on their kitchen table, a little review of how last year's attack plan worked and how it can be improved. Uh, improved. Tia's family then started to strategize the best route that we take from roller coaster to roller coaster you know, to ensure we exceeded last year's effort in terms of rides ridden, but also hitting the priority coasters as much as we could. Right, so with the attack plan in place, we were then given like times and locations most strategic for our limited bathroom breaks that we were allotted. We were given times when we'd eat lunch and dinner, you know, keep strength up for the day, but not such a way it would be slowed down. And as this battle plan is being drawn up, I felt like it's in like a master's class, like an art of war somewhere like at West Point. In fact, I don't know if Napoleon himself, at the peak of his military power, ever laid out a more brilliant, thought through strategic plan than what I was just witnessing at the kitchen table here. Okay, so with our plan in place, the day came for us to make our trip down to uh, Six Flags. Got up early, allowed us to get in line, right in front, all according to plan. As gates opened, we ran to priority coaster number one, the biggest, 
fastest coaster in the park, all according to plan. But then as we waited in line, I was informed of a plan that was not discussed, at least with me present. So I'm gonna refer to this as boyfriend hazing initiation plan. <laughs> and as the plan was being played out with me, not knowing what was going on, we started to line up in such a way that ensured that I would sit in priority coaster number one in the front seat. Right, you know, biggest, fastest coaster in the park, front seat. Just to ensure I get the full experience, which I did. And from that first ride on, for the rest of the day, it was one roller coaster after another, after another, after another, where the ups and downs never seemed to end. I mean, it was like a roller coaster purgatory. It just never ends. <laughs> Until finally, 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 mercifully, they came to end. Time was up. Basically forced by the park officials to leave the park. She did with everyone. Tia's family delighted. There's a new record was now uh, of coasters ridden was now set. But of all the people there, I was the happiest one for the day to end. Uh, it was me. It was finally over. So through that experience, I learned a couple things. First, at least when it comes to roller coasters, Tia and her family are bonkers. Okay, learn that. Second, I learned I do not like roller coasters. <laughs> like at all. Like not even a little bit. By the end of the day, I learned how much I like to be anchored to the sure and steady ground. So now I'll tell you that story, not simply to air past grievances, but to set us up for a bit of theme that I want to consider this morning from our passage, which is just a theme revolving around uh, roller coasters, and how much life can feel like a roller coaster that just seems to never end, that the majority of us really don't like to ride. Now, I know there's a song that sings that life is a highway. It implies that you know, it's a smooth ride, but you can like, set cruise control and just kind of coast your life. It's not true. Life's a roller coaster. Ups and downs, twists and turns all throughout. And I want to consider this theme this morning because of how much a roller coaster ride David, who's a central character of our passage today, has been on since we first met him in chapter 16. Just think about it. Think how many ups and downs that he had that never seemed to end. You know, just for the sake of review of where we've been in our study, just to help to set the context of our passage, let me just remind us of the roller coaster David has been on since chapter 16 when we first met him. So we first met David. He's almost like the forgotten youngest son of a man named Jesse, a lowly shepherd boy, you know, kind of a down. But, things, but from there, things go up. In fact, way up. Remember, David is anointed to be king by the great prophet and priest Samuel. From there, things continue to go up for him as David is invited to the king's court to play the harp for King Saul. We read in short order, David became the loved and trusted servant of Saul. Right? Pretty high highs here. Then from there in chapter 17, at the start of 17, it seemed like David was actually kind of down. It's kind of discouraged because while he was tending the flock, his brothers were encamped in a battle against a great enemy, uh, the Philistines. It seemed pretty clear at the start of chapter 17, David really wished he was there. So he's kind of down, disappointed. A little discouraged. One thing for things to uh, greatly change for David to, to an up. Do you remember how he entered into the battle, the fight against the great giant man Goliath? And how he fought Goliath in such a way that God brought forth a victory as David struck down Goliath, which led to all of Israel now routing the Philistines? What an incredible up that must have been for David. Think how full of encouragement he had to be at this point. And in chapter 18, when he got there, further encouragement for David, further up. Uh, that David found a loyal and committed best friend, a man named Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who's also centered in our text today. But then in chapter 18, after a victory parade is being thrown, things started to crash down quickly for David, as King Saul became jealous of him with such jealousy that Saul even tried to kill David with his spear. You know, back down. I'm sure for David, a very confusing down. However, that was happening. David was growing in favor among the people. He had success wherever he went, so in some ways he was back up. 
But then the end of chapter 18, more of the coaster ride, a roller coaster ride, where Saul tries to manipulate the situation in hand by sneakily trying to kill David, which he did by offering David his oldest daughter in marriage, which at first probably wasn't up for David, just encouraging, but when that didn't work out, back down, but then back up, because then Saul offered to David his youngest daughter, Michael, who loved him, which did work out. You may remember this work, uh, marriage worked out because David more than paid a, a bride price that Saul sent for the marriage, which was killing of 100 Philistines, to which David actually killed 200. And as he killed 200, there's more ongoing success for David in ways that the people started to become even, see him more highly esteemed, so things just kept going back up for him. But then where we were last week, just more of the up and down roller coaster. We see like Saul put a public hit on David's life, right, crashing back down, only for Jonathan to be an advocate for David, which Jonathan was so successful in doing that Saul not only took the hit off of David's life, but Saul even declared protection for David. So, so back up. Only for Saul to flip-flop later in the text to try to kill David again by pinning him to a wall with a spear. Back down. Only for David's wife, Michael, to help him successfully escape to safety, which I'm sure, at least in some levels, had to be an up for him. And as he fled, he found Samuel, who took him in, probably a further up for David. Only for Saul to send messengers to find where David was hiding to kill him. Back down. That as the messengers came, God moved in such a way that he used Samuel and the other prophets to not only protect David, but they did incredible work in the messengers. Back up. And this up and down scene with Sam and the prophet and the messengers of Saul were seeking to kill David. Right? This, remember how this happened three times? Right? Up, down, up, down, up, down. And finally our text ended, which I think at least would have been somewhat of an up for David, as God humbled Saul, the one who was trying to kill him, to the point that Saul was lying naked on the floor in great shame. I mean, can you imagine this roller coaster that David's been on? But at this point, he's still a young man. From chapter 16, when we first met him, through our text today, and all really all throughout 1 Samuel, book of 1 Samuel, this is David's reality. Like, he lived in this roller coaster of high highs, low lows, which I'm sure for him never felt like he was anchored to the sure and steady ground below him. And today, as we come to our text, it's mentioned more of the roller coaster ride for David. More ups, more downs, more twists, more turns. Okay, so with all that being said, look back with me starting in verse 1 of our passage. So we read that after this great scene, the previous pastors, God used Samuel the prophet to protect David. We see that once again, now David's back on the run as he fled the area. And as he fled, we see he came to his good buddy Jonathan to process with him. As he tries to figure out, like, you know, what could he have done to get Saul so upset with him? Like, where, where is his guilt? Where has he sinned against Saul in such a way that Saul is now seeking to take his life? Like, David's back down. He, like, he's discouraged. He's fighting in despair here in verse 1 of our passage. I'm sure he is feeling a lot of fatigue from the roller coaster ride that he's been on. Verse 2, 1 Samuel chapter 20. As David is trying to process what is happening from the depths of a discriminated despair, we see Jonathan do what any good friend would do, or at least should do. We see Jonathan spoke truth to David, spoke words of encouragement to David. In our text, Jonathan to David, David, you're not going to die. Far from it. David, listen, I know my dad. And yes, I know he's a loose cannon, but before the cannon is shut off, he does nothing, great or small, without first talking to me. So don't worry. Before anything happens, I'll make it known, and I will not let you die. Start keeping on verse 3. As David is flying downward in the roller coaster of despair, we see he answered back to Jonathan, having doubts to what Jonathan just said, by in the text saying, uh, Jonathan, I know that sounds good, but your father knows that we're buddies. 
he knows that I found favor in your eyes. Jonathan, don't you think that he would think that I better not tell Jonathan about my intentions for David because he would assume that it would grieve you? Jonathan, I know we're friends. Yes, I do know that your dad does confide in you with virtually everything. But with me, this is different. His consuming hatred towards me is unlike anything else. So in a text, David, to Jonathan, as truly as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, i got to tell you, Jonathan, I'm just a step away from death. Your dad, he's coming for me. And he's not going to stop. You know, for us, we can just feel the emotion here. This is an emotional down here. He is defeated, discouraged. The text of David shares his heart with his friend. We see that Jonathan agrees. You know what, David? You're right. This is different. And he agreed with David's assessment of the situation. As he did that, we see that Jonathan like, goes back to reaffirm to his friend the covenant that he made back with him in chapter 18. That he would stick with him, that he'd be his friend. It's actually something we see Jonathan do multiple times in this passage, which just speaks the type of friend that Jonathan was. So in the passage, in line with the covenant Jonathan made with David, we see him say, David, whatever you say, I will do. David, I'm not going to let you ride this roller coaster alone. I will be there with you. I will do whatever you need me to do. Numbers 5, David came up with a plan. A plan that would indeed need Jonathan's help. So in the text, Jonathan, as you know, tomorrow is a new day, or, or the new moon, and you know that we have the celebration meal to mark this occasion. So how, how about this? How about if I fail to come and sit at the king's table, which would have been the normal expectation for David to do? But instead of coming to this meal, Jonathan, what I will do, I'm going to go hide myself in the field until the third day of the evening. Which probably just refers to maybe some of the imprecise nature of predicting the exact date when the noon moon would fill the sky. So it seems likely they probably had like maybe two days that they felt pretty good when the new moon would come. So they prepared to prepare a feast for both of those days. So by the third day, David felt confident the new moon would have occurred, making his absence noticeable. Verse 6. Jonathan, as your father notices I'm gone, and it's clear that he wonders where I am, how about this for a plan? How about just tell him that I earnestly came to you to see if it would be okay with you if I went back home to Bethlehem so I could perform a yearly sacrifice with my entire clan. And when you tell him that, in verse 7... Jonathan, just take note of how your dad responds. If he says something back to you like, oh, okay, good, that makes sense, I'm really glad David could do that. So if that happens, then we can trust that things are well for me. Indeed, Saul did have a change of heart, and I am now safe in his presence. However, if, I, if you tell him that I went back home for the yearly sacrifice, and if he gets angry at this news, then we know that he is bound and determined to bring me harm. Right, this is a pretty simple, straightforward plan to test the heart of Saul. So verse 8, after David laid out this plan, we see that he looks back at his good buddy and asks Jonathan, Jonathan, please, deal kindly with your servant. For you have sought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you, which is also called back to what we read in chapter 18, the promise that Jonathan made to David that he would be loyal to him. Now, even though Jonathan already confirmed his commitment to David in the text, for David, he's on such an emotional roller coaster ride here. I'm sure he had a hard time knowing, like, like who could he really trust? Like, even could he even trust, like, his most close, most loyal friend? 
So he asked Jonathan for just some added assurance. As David sought assurance from Jonathan, David did so in a way that he was trying to protect Jonathan from like feeling backed into a corner, to have to defend David if David is actually the one who is in the wrong. So he tells David, Jonathan a text. Okay, thank you for your assurance, but I do want you to understand that, Jonathan, if there's guilt in me, that in the end, if I'm the one who's wrong, it's not actually not your father, Saul, not only are you not obligated to keep this covenant with me, but if I'm guilty, Jonathan, you actually should kill me yourself. Don't even waste time bringing me to your father. Which I think this year, I think this is part of the toll of the roller coaster ride for David. Like even his own confidence was just crushed. To the point that not only did he struggle to trust others, here I don't even think he could even like trust himself. Verse 9. As Jonathan heard all that David had to say, he spoke up again with words of truth and encouragement to his weary friend. David, far be it from you. David, you know we're friends. You know that I love and that I care about you. You know that my desire is for your good. So David, please trust me when I tell you. If I knew that my father determined to harm you, I would tell you. Do you really think I would not tell you? Now, just to pause again, put ourselves here in the scene. Can you imagine the emotional conversation this was? This back and forth between these friends, where I'm sure for David, probably felt like the friendship was on the line. He probably felt like everything is on the line, but in reality, in every sense of the phrase, this is life and death for him. Verse 10, keep going. As David and Jonathan continue referring to the covenant of friendship with one another, we see that he started to put a further plan in place. So David asked Jonathan, okay, so we both feel good about this empty seat test uh, for Saul, but now from there, how, how do you plan on telling me what your father's answer is? Like, how am I going to know if he spoke roughly back to you when he, when he told him I'm in Bethlehem at the early sacrifice, or if he actually spoke back words of favor to you? So, so how do we see this playing out? Verse 11, we see that Jonathan had an idea. An idea that he just not wanted to share with David, but also show David. So we see they went out to a field. And as they got to the field, in verse 12, Jonathan further reaffirmed the covenant to David with God being his witness. And by the way, maybe a little side note that we can change the reaffirm to a little bit today. When people are on this roller coaster of life with all these ups and downs, often they do need a lot of affirmation. So not only be patient with them as they seek affirmation, but even be proactive to give it to them. Like affirming, reaffirming truth. Right? That's what they need. In fact, that's what we all need. And I do think this is one of the reasons why the Lord commands us to not forsake to get together as a church. Amen. So week after week after week, through his word, through taking the Lord's Supper, we can hear God affirm his promises to us. Right? This is one of the reasons why I hope that we all do all we can to faithfully be present, to hear these God-given affirmations every week. Keep going, verse 13. As the plan is being laid out, with further affirmations of Jonathan, we see that Jonathan then, in a sense, like invokes a curse upon himself, telling to David, Saul, his dad, intended to harm David, and Jonathan did not pass that info on to him, so that may the Lord himself deal with me. Verse 13, then we see he prays over David, asking the Lord to be with him, as he once was with his father Saul, which refers to the time before the Lord took his empowered spirit from Saul, an act of judgment for his sin in chapter 13. And as Jonathan re-upped the covenant in verse 14, he asked David to do the same thing on his end. David, I'm affirming my covenant to you. Now, 
Could you affirm it to me to show and continue to show kindness, steadfast love towards me, towards my family line? As he did so, further acknowledging to David, further affirming to him, further encouraging him that, David, you really are my friend, that I'm with you. As he does that, we see that David even, or Jonathan then helps David see like the evidence of God's grace that was on him through all of the ups and downs. How the Lord is indeed with him as the Lord used David to cut off the enemies. And as this affirming and reaffirming of David and the friendship covenant is taking place, we see Jonathan further prayed over David, verse 16, asking the Lord to continue to take vengeance on the enemies of David. As that's happening, it's coming to an end, verse 17, as both men continue to affirm the loving friendship towards one another. Right? Just an emotional scene here. This in itself would have been just an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Let me think about it. There's life and death are on the line. Friendship is now being challenged and affirmed. There's a plan in place, but there's no uncertainty how successful it would be or how, how the outcome, what it would reveal. This is not a sure and steady scene. This is not a highway. This is a roller coaster. Keep going, verses 18 to 19. Empty seat plan in place. Jonathan started to show David how he could communicate if indeed Saul's uh, reaction was harsh, which is a plan that would be communicated in secret, not wanting anyone to find out out of fear that things eventually would get back to Saul. So Jonathan, or Jonathan to David. So on the third day, so go and remain over there by the stone heap. And in verse 20, on that day, I will come back to the field with my servant. And I'll come out of the guys that are going to be working on some of my archery skills and shooting bow and arrow. And after I shoot the arrows, as you stand over there behind the stone heap, just listen for the instruction that I tell my servant boy. What does he do in terms of how he is to re uh, retrieve the arrows after they're shot? So verse 21, David, if I tell the boy, look, the arrows are on your side. Take note of that. That's how I'm going to communicate to you some good news that as the Lord lives, that you're not in danger, but you actually are safe to return. I'm in verse 22. If I tell the youth to look for the arrows that are beyond you, David, as hard as it would be for me to tell you or to say that, just know, this is my communication to you. Things did not go well with my dad. And it's actually time for you to flee once again, trusting that the Lord himself has sent you away. But David, if that's the message I give you in the text, please, please, please know that as you go away, that our covenant before the Lord, this is with us forever. I mean, he just seems like tears like you know, flowing down their faces here. And clearly he had some hope that maybe God would work in such a way in Saul's life that Saul would repent, show kindness to David, and so all this would go away. But these two young, young men, they weren't dumb. They weren't fools. They understood without some type of unique work of God, the likely outcome, the painful likely outcome, was going to be harsh news. Verse 23, you read that as a plan was being put into action, David hid in the field as the new moon came. Verses 24 through 25, everyone sat on the normal seats. I'll let you read the names to see who all were present there in verses 24 to 25. And after day one, when Saul noticed that David was not there, verse 26, he doesn't think anything of it. For Saul, something surely must have happened to David. Uh, perhaps he's not clean, so he can't participate in the feast. 
So today, one for Saul, no big deal. Things happen. Happen verse 27. As day two of the feast came, where there's still no David, his place was still empty. For Saul, we see now there was a concern. Gone day one, and it's fine. No need to do anything. But now, gone day two? Saul needs to explore what's going on here. So we see he goes over to Jonathan to see if Jonathan knew why David was not present. So verse 28, if you want to take your eyes there, Jonathan responded back to his dad according to the script that he and David walked through in the plan beforehand. Oh, uh, David, yeah, that's right, Dad. Uh, I forgot to tell you that he came recently to me in earnest and asked him if he could go back home to Bethlehem so he could participate in the yearly sacrifice that his clan holds there. A sacrifice that he told me actually had some family pressures tied to it, specifically from his older brothers, who insisted that he was present. And so, you know, I figured we really don't need him here. Not that big a deal. So I gave him permission to go. And Jonathan, you know, is reciting his script here. You can just feel like his heart racing. Palms are sweaty. I'm sure his stomach is filled with, like, nerves and butterflies. Anxious to see how his dad respond, which he did. Verse 30, so. Uh, verse 30 doing so with response filled with anger. And not just anger at David, but anger, overflowing anger, even at his own son, Jonathan. We see in verse 30, Saul goes after about as harshly as he could, telling Jonathan that he was nothing more than a son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Just further underscores how awful of a dad Saul was. To say that even about his own flesh and blood. And Saul went after Jonathan, seeking to verbally disgrace him, he let Jonathan know that he was not fooling him with this story that he just told him about David in Bethlehem. Saul told Jonathan, son, how dumb do you really think I am? I know that you've chosen Jesse, this lowly shepherd, over me. This just proves how much of an idiot son you really are. Jonathan, why would you do that? In the text, Jonathan, this is to your shame. This is the shame of your mother. How could you dare to choose him over me? Verse 31. Jonathan, you fool, do you not understand as long as David is around, this kingdom that I built, this will become his. It will be given to this lowly shepherd boy from Jesse. He'll be the one who's king, not you. In sex, Jonathan, do you not understand because of him? This kingdom, this will never be yours. So Jonathan, don't lie to me. Don't give me some made-up story. Brother, you need to send for him. You need to bring David to me right now, for surely he shall die. You can feel the intensity here in this passage, this scene. Right, this, this is Jonathan right here, keeping his promise to David. A promise for Jonathan that's like fully jumped on the roller coaster. Keep going. As Saul talked down his son in the most condescending way possible, we see Jonathan now show some real courage. He didn't simply cower before his dad in shame, which I'm sure was Saul's goal. Rather, we see in verse 32, Jonathan courageously speaks up. Why, Dad? Why should David be put to death? Tell me, what are his charges? What has he done? So Jonathan courageously spoke up on David's behalf, unlike what we saw in our text last week. When Jonathan said something similar to Saul, that Saul responded in such a way that he relented in our text today. This questioning rebuke by Jonathan, it clearly does not land. In verse 33, we see that Saul took his spear, and the same spear that he tossed multiple times at David as he tried to pin David to the wall. And this time, Saul tossed it at Jonathan. 
his own son, trying to strike him down, only for Jonathan to avoid it and escape. No, it seems like Jonathan's a pretty sharp guy, but after this conversation that took place, right, he didn't need to be a genius to see what Saul's intentions were for David. They were not good. His intentions were for harm for David. So verse 35, to keep going, we read that that morning Jonathan went to the field where David was hiding. He took his young servant with him, all according to the plan. Verse 36, also according to plan, Jonathan shot the arrows, instructed his arrows to retrieve them, or his servant to retrieve the arrows. And as the servant went to look for them, Jonathan relayed the secret coded message to David painfully shouting out to the boy in ways that David certainly could hear. Servant, is that not the arrow beyond you? Just communicated to David all they needed to hear. You know, just a roller coaster of emotions for him. Where perhaps for David, maybe as Jonathan first entered the field, maybe he had some guarded optimism, perhaps of a good report, only for that guarded optimism to be stripped quickly with an absolute downer of report, one that he dreaded to hear. In the text, as the boy retrieved the arrows, so he brought them back to Jonathan. We see Jonathan send the boy home without delay, doing so in verse 39, without the boy knowing anything, what took place, having no suspicion of something going on outside of just some uh, archery practice. Down to verse 41, the boy walked out of sight. We read that David came out from where he's hiding, from behind the stone heap. He goes over to Jonathan, he falls on his face, bowing before Jonathan three times, which here this is a great sign of respect and admiration towards his friend who kept his covenant. Then as David got up, we see that the men gave a cultural uh, a farewell of a kiss, doing so with more tears streaming down their face. But their text tells us that David was the one who was weeping the most. Right? All of this roller coaster emotions are like they're bursting forth here out of David. You know, my guess, all the emotions, probably all the things, they're all happening here for David. Right? He's grateful for Jonathan. Where he feels loved and cared for by him. At the same time, I'm sure he's like super angry at Saul. I, I'm sure he was scared of what lies ahead. I mean, his life is still very much in danger. All of this, he's also grieving as he's being forced to leave everything behind in order to save his life. Not just his friend Jonathan, but even his young wife, Michael. You can take her with him to put her life at risk. In fact, we don't even see her again until chapter 25, where we learn the evil Saul gave his daughter to another man. Right? It makes so much sense that David is just weeping, deep, heavy, painful tears. Right? Back on this roller coaster. Which, by the way, take note. All this, this entire roller coaster ride for David. It's all because God anointed him to be king. David didn't anoint himself. This is the Lord actually put him on this roller coaster. You know, up to this point, what do we read about David? It's only been positive things about him, his character, his heart for the Lord. Yet here he is in the end of our text. Man in the valley of life, beat down with despair. We seemingly lost everything. And finally, our text ends, Jonathan saying goodbye with another prayer. So Jonathan blessed David as he prayed that David would go in peace 
After the prayer, the men got up. Another affirmation of their covenant, that the Lord would be between these two men and their offspring forever. With that, David got up, fled for safety, as Jonathan headed back to the city. Absolute roller coaster of a passage. Which, for the rest of our time here, I just want to give you some really brief thoughts just on this roller culture of life that I think our text points us to. Because the time constraints, I'm, I'm going to be pretty brief here. And as I give you these, all these are going to be revolving around uh, identifying. Which, when we're on their roller coaster, sometimes it's hard to identify anything. Because all we're trying to do is simply to hold on. So as I give you these, my hope says, as we give these things that you should identify, I actually hope this is an encouragement to you, especially if you came in here this morning feeling like you're on this absolute roller coaster. So first, so just identify that the roller coaster of life, it's real. And I do want us to identify that. It's cliche, but it's true. Life is really filled with ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And I actually think it's important for us to understand this. I mean, since sin entered into the world in Genesis 3, this is what life is now. It's made up of ups and downs that at times feel like they never will end. So this morning, if you walked in this morning, you feel like you've been on this never-ending roller coaster. If it helps, I don't doubt it. I'm sure you have been. To go back to the start of the sermon, that has been the life of David in our study. Ups and downs. Now, I'm sure his were more extreme than anything we might face. But I do think that's what First Samuel is wanting us to see, at least in part. This absolute roller coaster ride for David. So we can identify with him, with whatever ups and downs in our life we might be going through. Like we're, we're not alone. Amen. So the second thing. Identify that we're not meant to ride the roller coaster alone. But that we're actually meant to ride the roller coaster together. Amen. Which is something at first when I started to study the text this week, it's something I didn't really didn't think about at the beginning of the week. But then by midweek, as I was studying, this is something that became like one of the most clear things for me to see in this passage here. Over and over and over again in this passage, Jonathan and David ride in this roller coaster together. Over and over and over again in this passage, expressing their commitment to each other throughout this ride. Now, church, this is one of the reasons, one of the strong reasons why we hope as a church that we connect and continue to connect with each other's church family. It's, it's, it's right here. So we can go through all the ups and downs in life, riding the roller coaster of life together to try to help each other through all of the many ups and downs. To be like Jonathan, to pray for David, to pray for each other through the ups and downs to be patient with one another, to bear one another's burdens in love, right? so we can identify with each other. Third, identify the work of God on the roller coaster. Now with David, God was at work through the roller coaster, I'm sure in many ways. I'm just going to give you two. So first, it, I, it, it seems clear to me that God was at work inside the heart of David through this, as he is preparing David to be the king. Or it seems like God is maybe using the ups to fill David with encouragement, to see God's work through him in these great ways. While at the same time, God is maybe using the downs to bring forth further humility into David, causing David to be more and more dependent upon the Lord. I think this is actually the pattern we see all throughout the scriptures, throughout all the various characters of faith. How God had real purposes in their life, through all the ups, through all the downs, to grow his people, which also is one of our church pillars, to grow. 
Friends, the roller coaster ride is not wasted by the Lord. This is not a ride that we ride in vain. But we've got to trust. We've got to identify that God is using them, using this roller coaster to grow us in our faith, to cause us not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in him. So this morning, if I can encourage you here, please take heart, please trust that as you ride this roller coaster, God's doing that work inside you. That through all of your ups, through all of your downs, maybe especially in your downs, God is at work patiently growing you. It's not wasted by the Lord. You are not riding the roller coaster in vain. But that's not the only place I think God was at work here. Let me also mention for David, it seems that through all these ups and downs that he's going through, God is at work through David to help care for others. I'm sure in many ways God was doing this work through David, but let me mention perhaps the most important way. It seems abundantly clear, at least to me, that so many of the Psalms that we love, that we run to when we're on the roller coaster, that minister to us, that we identify with, many of those are written by David on the roller coaster particularly when the roller coaster was screaming downward like it was in our text today. Friends, if I can further encourage you here, who knows how the Lord might be using the roller coaster that you've been riding in ways that not only is going to bring glory to himself, but so that you can better minister to others. Identify God's work on the roller coaster ride. Or as we often say, identify the evidences of his grace. Fourth, most importantly, Identify that Jesus identifies with you as you ride the roller coaster. So that's one of the great blessings of the incarnation, where the word became flesh to dwell among us. I mean, scripture tells that Jesus, he is our faithful high priest who can identify with us in every way, every weakness, yet without sin. Jesus can identify with us because in the flesh, he himself rode the roller coaster. We're in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ experienced some incredible highs where he healed the sick, raised the dead, where he had crowds praise him, calling out to him, Hosanna. But we know that our Lord also experienced many lows. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. In fact, we know that our Lord Jesus, he experienced the lowest of the lows. As the crowds yelled, crucify him as they nailed him to a wooden cross. We're on the cross, the lowest of the lows. God is at work in such a way that the Lord Jesus died in the place of his people of faith, where he bore the wrath of God by taking the punishment, the penalty of our sin in our place. So by faith in him, in Jesus, in him alone, that we might find forgiveness Friends, we know the cross is the lowest of the low. But we also know that on the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, the highest of the highs. And because Jesus Christ lives, he promised eternal life to any and all who call upon his name, including all here today. So that through Jesus, not only would you find forgiveness of your sin, but you have the sure promise that one day, indeed, the roller coaster ride of life will stop. And that day will be joyful. And it'll be joyful not because finally and finally, finally the roller coaster is over, but because on that day when our Lord Jesus returns, we will be with him forever, eternally. That is going to be the greatest of all joys. We will be with the one who is the sure and steady anchor of our soul. 
Rivers Church, as we ride the roller coaster of life, may God give us the grace to faithfully ride it together, to help each other, not just to identify with one another, but more importantly, may we help each other to identify with the one who came to identify with us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that indeed he is our great high priest who can sympathize with us in every weakness without sin. And Lord, I do pray for those here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are maybe wore out from the roller coaster of life. Lord, I pray that today you would give them hope May we encourage them. Lord, please help us as a church family just to identify those who are among us that maybe are down and discouraged, that we can affirm and reaffirm not only our love for them, but more importantly, your love for them. And Lord, may we be faithful as we go through the many ups and downs. And Lord, we do pray that Lord Jesus would come back quickly. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen.